Hello, welcome to Fighting Over the VCR. My name is Nancy. My name is Matthew. And we like to talk about movies that we watched when we were growing up together. This week, we picked a couple of movies that are all about World War II. And about, from the perspective of young people dealing with World War II. And it's particularly, like, through the eyes of just the main characters in each of these movies. So it's not like you've got a whole bunch of subplot or anything like that. It's pretty much these two characters and what they're going through. Exactly. Later in the podcast, I'm going to be talking about Christian Bale's breakout role in Empire of the Sun. But Matt's going to get us started with a discussion about Biloxi Blues. Biloxi Blues came out in 1988 and was based on a play by Neil Simon. Um, and it was the second story in, like, a trilogy of plays that he had done based, called, like, his Eugene Brooklyn series hmm. about the character Eugene Jerome. Uh, the first play is called Brighton Beach Memoirs, which oh. is also a movie starring uh, Jonathan Silverman. And then the third story is called Broadway Bound, which was made into a TV movie. Mm. And um, there's a lot of, like, it's interesting because there's some characters that were, uh, or some actors that did stage productions that also did the movie. So it's kind of interesting how there's kind of, like, this Neil Simon, like, group (laughs) where these certain actors all kind of worked on these three plays Mm -hmm. and um, and then the movies. Um, the movie is directed by Mike Nichols, who also did Working Girl, yep, which we talked about recently. Eugene, Jer- also n- called Jerome throughout the movie because they get a lot of the character, almost all the characters get called by their last name, is played by Matthew Broderick, yep, who um, did play Eugene on stage mm. and then came over and did the. Um, and did the movie. And it's called Biloxi Blues because Eugene is on his way to Biloxi, Mississippi for basic training uh, during World War II. And on, you know, from the very beginning, he's on a train kind of giving this backstory of, you know, why the hell am I here <laughs> kind of thing. You know, really kind of questioning, I mean... I don't think he was drafted. I mean, World War II was famous for a lot of people, a lot of um, soldiers enlisting. But he ha- kind of has this preconceived notion of what it might be like and how all of that is getting <laughs> all of that is getting obliterated. Um, one of the main things he says, like when he first gets there, is he talks about how hot it is. <laughs> and he, yeah, he, does, he doesn't talking stop about talking hot. about that. I, I was feeling this is it. Like, I was feeling this it is hot. Him. My God. Did they say it was going to be this hot? Mm. (laughs) Yeah. He pretty much narrates the whole movie, you know, with his kind of witty kind of kind of banter of how he would describe all the characters and everything. And a lot of that's pretty fun. And that's Neil Simon and his, you know, his genius kind of at work with, you know, with his writing. The movie opens with them on a train and you're meeting a bunch of the different characters. Apparently... And a lot of these actors are not that well known. A lot of them are kind of 
uh, character actors or they were stage actors who came over mm. and did roles in the movie. Um, apparently, one of the platoon guys that is on his platoon but has a very minor role, and it was his first movie he ever did, was David Schwimmer, um, who then became Ross on Friends. <laughs> I don't know if I even but, noticed him in the movie. You barely notice him, but, you know, it's kind of a random <laughs> kind of thing. And his platoon, the best way I can describe his platoon is they're kind of like the Bad News Bears. They are <laughs> a bunch kinda, of Neanderthals. <laughs> it is kind of similar to the them. Bad News Bears. You're it's right. kind of like the Bad News. It's kind of the Bad News Bears of a platoon. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and um, <laughs> you know, you've got like the guy who eats anything, the sex fiend, the questioner, the guy who wants everyone to get along. And then you have Jerome who wants to be a writer and is both kind of a questioner observer kind yeah. of kind of in this whole thing. And anytime you anytime Jerome is in a situation, there's always this kind of look of like, hmm, should we be doing this? Is this the best way to be doing it? Yeah. <laughs> Which is kind of it's kind of because of the writing and the dialogue that goes with it, it, it adds a humor to it, but you're still dealing with, you know, war and basic training and how much fun is that yeah um and then when they finally get to biloxi mississippi and finally get to the base where they're going to be trained you get introduced to the main antagonist in this movie sergeant toomey played wonderfully by christopher walken yeah (laughs) now um and when you i watched both um Christopher Walken and Matthew Broderick on um, the old Bravo show Inside the Actor Studio, and they talk about this movie. Oh. And one of the things that they recall is how Walken played the role a lot differently than the sergeant on stage did. Like, the sergeant on stage was very much, like, yelling in their face, kind of like this, like a that stereotypical drill sergeant of, of being super strict and yelling at everybody and trying to, like, basically bulldog them. Yeah. Whereas Christopher Walken kind of takes more of, like, a quiet, cool kind of vibe. Like, even when he first meets them, he's like, hello, how's it going? How you doing? All right, uh, attention. Oh, maybe you didn't hear me. Attend hut? (laughs) And to try and... He messes with them, though. And he really kind of messes with them in a way that almost is more sinister so i mean you're trying like his whole job is to to not just train them but make them obedient you know so they're good like soldiers who follow orders but he doesn't take the whole yelling at them kind of fear kind of aspect of it he really messes with their head yeah and um that also adds to a lot of the humor in this i think because it's pretty it's kind of funny like that whole intro scene when he says you know, when when I call your name, you know, the correct answer to that question is ho, not yes, not sir, not here. It's ho. And that turns into this whole kind of interesting scene. Well, it's and, not uh, Eugene who fun. messes it up first. It's uh, no it, Arnold. It, yeah, it's um, Epstein or Epstein. Yeah, it's Epstein. And Epstein is is the closest friend that. Jerome has, but goes about things a lot differently than Jerome would. Jerome is very much like, let me think about this before I do it. 
whereas Epstein kind of already has like a very i a good idea of who he is and how he you know what his modus operandi is and he's totally okay with you know cleaning the bathroom with a toothbrush and stuff like he doesn't that. even want to shoot a gun yeah he doesn't even really want to be there yeah i mean it's quite it's like why are you even there but yeah. But, but both both I, he and Eugene are Jewish from New York, so I think they have yeah. that bond initially. They have that bond, and they're both kind of about. The, I think they're about the same age, and you know they they bunk together, and I think they just kind of relate to each other because they're both from New York too. Yeah. You know, I really, really like Christopher Walken in this role because I think the movie I'd seen him in before this was probably. Um, like as the villain in in the in a view to a kill. Yes. So I had been I had already kind of seen him as like an evil guy, mm-hmm. but then seeing this where he's a bad guy in a sense that he's the main antagonist for this group, but he's just doing his job really. I mean, it's kind of yeah. He doesn't have to maybe discipline them the way he does and mess with them the way he does, but I don't know. It's entertaining. It's entertaining to watch. So when um, when did you first see this movie? So I first saw this movie when it came out. I went with a friend and his family at and we saw it at the UA theater by our house. Really? Yeah. Which is now a church. Yeah. Um, and I just remember walking out of that movie like, man, that was a really good movie. And I was and so it came out in 88. So I was like nine. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't that old and and I remember it being funny but there was a lot of stuff that was kind of over my head I mean I knew I kind of knew it was going on like I knew like when he goes to the prostitute to lose his virginity like I obviously knew what was going on um but what I didn't kind of get was some of the more serious aspects of it like the fact that like one of the characters is half Irish, half African-American, and that was a huge no-no for to have mixing of the platoons at that point in the war, or having homosexuals in the army at all. Do you you think that that character really was, though? I think the character was. I don't know if the actor was, but the character was. Okay. And I didn't really get that at that age. I didn't pick up on those things. I was like, why are they arresting him? Oh my God, this is, this is stupid. Or why are they kicking these guys out of the army? Why are they keep talking about going to Leavenworth? Like they're going to go to some, some place because of all, because of these, and it just seems stupid, you know, from now, nowadays. All of the don't ask, don't tell stuff sound seems really, it, it, it dated. Yeah. Because that was a long time ago. I mean, and it was, it was, you know, um, you know, you would get imprisoned back then yeah yeah so i didn't really kind of get a lot of that then and then i've watched this movie a number of times over the years like every you know if it was on tv you know i would put i would put it on you know i know i say that all the time but this was definitely this was this is a movie that has like deals with a lot of very kind of serious subject matter in some times, but in other times it's just funny. (laughs) Um, And for a war movie, you know, you get this very kind of straightforward idea of basic training with like lots of push-ups and long hikes and guys being punished by cleaning the bathroom with a toothbrush, etc. As someone who wouldn't take a lot of pleasure in being told what 
to do. Mm. <laughs> um, this movie affirmed something for me at a lo- young age that I never want to go into the army or the military. Yeah. Like seeing this, I was like, I know this is World War Two, but this doesn't seem like something I would do. Yeah, no, thanks. <laughs> so, you know, besides the whole, you know, not wanting to kill people or be in shitty conditions or the fact that I don't even really like camping. Um, um, there's just something about like, I probably related to, to like Jerome's perspective in this movie a lot more than I related to like Wykowski or, you know, any of the other guys who seemed more into what they're, what they were doing. So and and not that what they wanted to do or fighting for your country is bad or anything like that. I'm not saying that. It's just that's not for me. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, there's a pivotal scene in the movie, um, f- probably in, like in the end of the first act, where they all decide to play a game where um, they're all kind of talking about you know, the idea of going and fighting and dying. And they decide to play a game of what would you do with, you know, your last week on Earth? Like, you knew you were going to go overseas and and be killed. What would you do? And they have, like, this whole rating system, and Eugene's the the judge and everything. They all have, like, this idea of what they... Someone wants to have sex with millionaires and someone one guy wants he's like singing. So he wants to sing at Carnegie Hall or and something like that. And But Eugene, you know, we he, we kind of spell out the next series of events that happened for Eugene in this because he wants to lose his virginity win the Pulitzer Prize for literature and fall in love with the perfect girl. Well, next, you know, very soon after that, we hear about how they have a 48 hour leave and we get he gets to fulfill two of his fantasies he he goes to a prostitute with a group of guys you know and they're all going to meet this lady and eugene's like okay he's super nervous and it's one of the best scenes in the movie then later he goes to a uso dance and meets um the perfect girl played by penelope ann miller and um named daisy that kind of sets up the whole end of the movie too which is really interesting because at the end of the movie, Eugene and Toomey kind of have their final confrontation because Toomey, who has a steel plate in his head, is going to be sent to a VA ho- a veterans hospital to have it replaced and then get kicked out of the army, basically, because he's yeah. going to be a veteran. So he's pissed drunk and decides to he pulls in Eugene and is like, I overheard you guys playing this game. And now, now it's my turn. I want to play this game, but we're going to play it for real. And my wish before I die is I take some pissant, you know, know-it-all um, wannabe soldier and turn him into a brave, you know, decent soldier. And we're going to do this now. And the whole time he do, he's doing this, he has a gun to his head. And you're kind of freaking out. Yeah. Like, what the hell is going to go on? And um, it all turns out good and highly entertaining but um i don't know how entertaining it was very intense it was entertaining kind of it had an entertaining outcome at the end (laughs) i mean i don't know i just think like the story in this is good it's not super long it has a good rhythm i never feel like it gets too slow and 
the acting in it is really good. And I'm really kind of glad that, like, I saw this and never even, heard, like, saw any of the play or any of it. Because I think that, I re- like, my favorite character in this, it, it's, you know, it's easy to say Eugene because he's the main character. But I really like Christopher Walken and Toomey in this. Even though he's so, he's so mean mm-hmm. in, to so, to some of them. It's just it's he's an interesting he's an interesting character to watch. Yeah. So. So anyway. So I've never seen it. I watched it today for the first time. Um, It's not a movie that you and I ever really talked. I think you would maybe mention it in passing, um, but it's not one that you're like, oh, my God, you got to watch this when we were kids. So. Right. I um, and, and I don't know how much I don't know if our like mom and dad have ever seen it. Because I know dad's I not. Know. I know dad's not like super into Matthew Broderick, so I can see him he, deliberately skipping it. He does it. not. Yeah, um, he's not a huge fan. But so I watched it today, and again, I tried to like not know too much about it. I mean, I knew it was a World War II movie going to, going to boot camp in Biloxi. Like I knew that much, and that was about it. I'll just say right now that Eugene is my favorite character, but. I think he's very unlikable for about half the movie, and it's when he finally goes, finally gets his weekend leave and gets to have one of the most awkward sex scenes I've ever seen in a movie in my life. It's so From that point on, I was like, oh, my God, I really, really like this character. I mean, that scene and then the USO dance, I'll just kind of group them together. That's my favorite Mm -hmm. part of the movie. And, yeah. you know, I've watched a lot of war movies. I think in the 80s, we, we watched a bunch. I mean, we watched Platoon. They were very popular. They were. And, um, you know, Officer and a Gentleman, I like that a lot. I feel like um, Louis Gossett Jr.'s character is kind of similar to Christopher Walken's character in this. But I wasn't really into the basic training stuff in this movie. It really just kind of got annoyed. I didn't really like a lot of the other soldiers. Um, I like Arnold. Um, and I like the other character who ends up being gay and gets kicked out. And of course... Which guy gets... Which gay ends up being gay and kicked out? The one who gets arrested. That... he It's not because he's gay. It's because they find out he's half black. You think so? You don't think that yeah. he was the one that was with no. the other guy? No. It's because he was half black. I don't know, Matt. I don't know. I'm pretty sure they I'm pretty sure they started investigating or or, you know, because the I, scene I right before I that is the two. I believe that he was actually supposed to be half black. I mean, I don't want to, like, get into a big debate about it. I feel like he was just messing with that guy. I don't really know. I think it was more he was hiding that he was gay. That was the secret because mm, because the arrest be. came out came right after the other soldier in the other barracks was caught. Like, I feel well, like that was it, the it, secret. It could also be, though, that... It could also be that, like, the two guy, Like, the one guy who escaped and then the other guy who got caught, you know, named Hennessy because he had, like, overheard the conversation that he was half... You know, that he was also a person of color well, think, that, you know, he might have just outed him anyway well, to save like, the guy he was with. I Well, I think because they had already speculated that Arnold may have been gay, and then that whole scene happened um, where the two guys were caught, um, but then the whole, 
lockdown and then you see them all marching down the down that street and then the MPs come up. I don't know. I think the secret was not that he was half black, but that he's gay. I mean, well, I could maybe. be wrong. I could totally be wrong, but that's how I, that's how be, I read no, it. It could be a different. It could just be a, a different interpretation of yeah, it. Yeah, that's how I took I mean, it. Um, you know, sad and upsetting all around. You know, obviously. Yeah, I no. mean, not debating that by any means, but um, but I really like that character too. <laughs> um, you didn't like um, you didn't like Carney, the guy who want who his his other friend who. Um, Played by uh, Casey Sizemesco from who was also in Young Guns. Was he also on like, Stand by Me? Was he one of the? Yes, the thugs? he was one of the guy. He was one of the thug guys yeah. from uh, Stand by Me. He was too. fine, but I mean, I, I I would say that I don't know. There, I wasn't as into a lot of the other soldiers. I was into. I thought the I thought the prostitute was amazing. I thought she was so oh, great. Yeah. And I really liked when he met Daisy and every and yeah. I mean, and just like the total juxtaposition of here, he like meets this professional, you know, this lady of the night. And then he meets this like totally prude Catholic girl. I mean, just complete opposites. You know, and it was I don't so know. interesting to me. I don't know how prude she was. Well, it's just I think that she just felt very like she was trying to be very cautious because of the um the nuns of the nuns but, yeah i mean either way i mean she was she was yeah. very very um innocent let's just, i guess innocence the easiest way to describe it yeah she was very she was very in- innocent i mean the yeah. fact that she said i can't arrange a date but i'll tell you i'll be at confession at this church so if i bump into right. you great i mean like that was the extent of them yeah. planning a date so right um and and i understand why you like christopher walken a lot like i see it i get it but I've seen this kind of movie before, and I think I just, I wasn't as sold with the let's yell and scream and dehumanize soldiers elements of this movie. I've seen that so many times, and I probably like it more in other movies. But I really liked Arnold, and I really liked how he pushed back against it. And then the final piece where... um, it's actually Arnold who Christopher Walken wanted to really right. potentially kill. He, really I guess. Wa- he wanted to kill. He wanted to kill yeah. him. And I think that part of that too was maybe if, you know, he wants to go out, you know, he was drunk, but yeah. he, I think part of it too, was he wanted to kind of go out with a literal bang. Yeah. But, and, it, um, but, but Jerome kind of stands up and is like, no, I'm going to, I'm going to do this because he, he doesn't think that, I think he doesn't think that Arnold would be able to to talk his way out of it. And and, you know, and the Arnold way, the way found everybody and like brought everyone back. So it's like he kind of gathered the troops literally to come back yeah. and if nothing else kind of like be witness to what was happening. Um like yeah, that total breakdown scene. I feel like the kind of um mind games that Christopher Walken's character played it all got justified by seeing that he was like legitimately crazy at the end um, with, you know, having the steel plate in his head and, you know, then being discharged um, and how much that that just he couldn't deal with it because clearly being a military man was like his whole life. And to have that taken away was going to especially encountering Arnold and Jerome, who didn't want to be there. Like, they were not really committed 
soldiers. Like, they were just not into it. So those two in particular really pissed him off. Um, But I I thought it was great. I mean, I thought the movie was really entertaining. Like you said, it had a really good pace. I mean, all of those things I completely agree with. Um, For me, I felt like the second act was a lot stronger. Like, I felt like the pace from once they got that weekend leave and got to go to the whorehouse, from then on out, I was like, oh, okay, this movie's really, you know, getting you know, getting some movement that I was a lot more interested from that point on. Um, So you really think that I never really got the idea that Toomey was the kind of sergeant who just wanted to yell at them. I always felt like he would rather play mind games like the like the whole idea of him like saying, you know, Jerome, why don't you pick someone out of, out of here, out of this group to do push-ups? Because you know, you know, someone needs to be punished. And he goes like, he goes, why don't you whisper it into my ear because you're too embarrassed? And then he just names a name. It's all like, mind it games. Ends up being this whole. Well, yeah, but I think I found that more entertaining than the whole just like like in Stripes. In Stripes, the drill sergeant in that movie is like yelling at you know, Bill Murray and, and the rest of the group the whole time. And it's this very stereotypical kind of, I don't remember like, stripes very well, like, like kind of drill sergeant. And that just gets old. It was, I found this one being a lot more entertaining to watch um, just because it seemed wittier. I don't know. It just, the thing that the other thing is, that is I have to remember too, that just because Walken plays it the way he does it's still probably it's probably still all the same dialogue that the guy who's yelling is doing sure too. sure so um it, it's it's it, it, from that aspect too then it just becomes like this idea of if i say this differently it might come off differently and maybe it'll come off scarier and that's why i think i think it, i find it Interesting, and maybe because maybe also because I have that background from seeing them interviewed talking about doing it. Yeah, that also adds like my enlightenment to it. Yeah, but um, I but yeah, okay. That's why I like that's why I like Toomey. Okay, that's why I find it entertaining to watch him. Well, I think also. So the you know here the lead character is Jerome. You know he's this want to you know he wants to become a writer, so he's doing all this like observation. But he doesn't want to be there. So he's so not into it, but he also isn't all that intimidated either. So it's almost like he never really he never really seems to respect what to me at all to me like he just no. And and to me, it's kind and he of, mocks him. And, and, stuff. and that is also yeah. kind of like, I don't know. I, I don't know how much that would really fly you know but then again it wouldn't i'm also not someone who was built to ever be in the military like i don't like i also don't like to be told what to do and i don't you know i don't i no it's not for me (laughs) so well i think i think that's what makes probably my second favorite character is probably arnold yeah arnold's amazing because in arnold in arnold really kind of even though he's supposed to be jerome's friend he also kind of tells him like it is like he he says to him at one point you know you write in your book and you're looking at stuff and you have your own little thoughts and dreams about how how everything should be but at some point you got to like put up a fight like pick something and and 
and, you know, take action and join the fight. You know, you can't just be the observer. You know what, and, though? I mean, how old are these people? How old is he? 18, 19, 20? Like 18, I mean, 19, yeah. Whatever. But how interesting. A movie we discussed last week and a movie we discussed this week both involve people who are frequent journalers and these journals being, you know, read aloud to an audience and they aren't supposed <laughs> oh, to be. Yeah. I mean, because we talked about Girl Interrupted last week and, of course, that was a more intense situation in a lot of ways. Um, yeah. But, yeah, this guy, I mean, here, like he said, he couldn't, he lost his key to lock his foot, footbox, footlocker, foot... Footlocker, yeah. Um, he lost his key, so that was, and like he said, his journal was the only important thing in there, yet they, he, you know, you have no privacy, and they have no respect, so. Although I did love when the one soldier... Wykowski? Wykowski, yeah, read all the things that Jerome wrote about him, and it was all compliments. It was all, yeah, he's he's the best one in the group. He, you know, if he, if I think he's not so all great. compliments. Well, a lot of it was. He kind of he kind of turn he kind of describes him as a Neanderthal, but he also thinks he's the best soldier in the yeah. platoon. Yeah, and and that's what so. that's what Wykowski would want to hear. I mean, because he seemed like he it, he took a lot of pride in you know being really strong, right. being brave, and being competent in that world. So anyways, yeah. but again, like I said, my favorite scene was when they had their weekend leave and went to the horror house and then went to the USO dance, like those two together, my favorite part of the movie. I just thought it was so great. I, I, I always, when I think of this movie, the scene I always think about is, um, when he goes and sees Rowena. So funny. That everything about that scene is great. You know, you know, from, when he goes in to get his hat because he actually chickened out and then she's like, oh, are you the last one? Well, we better get going because I got some Navy boys coming over at two. Yeah. And he's like, OK. And he shuts the door. <laughs> he kind of just like, I guess I'm doing this. Yeah. And it's super awkward, but it's so great. Yeah. And and she is um, um, Rowena is played by Park Overall, who was in like did a bunch of tv mm. and like you'd probably like she's like if you I, I see her and i'm always and i'm always like she's in something mm. <laughs> that she's that actress but anyway that whole scene is probably one of that's the scene i always remember from this movie yeah it's um it will be the scene so i i'll remember that scene for sure but that it's it's incredibly awkward and hilarious, you know. When he comes out with he comes out in his shorts and his boots on, like you had to. He obviously put his boots back on because he took his pants off. Yeah. <laughs> and then she's just and she's like, "You can leave your shorts on because you're eventually gonna have to take them off, but you can't have the boots on." No. No. <laughs> so funny. And then the way she kind of the way she kind of treats him is like almost sweet. Oh yeah, you know, which is which was was. was really I mean, nice, even her so. line of, you know, when some when I'm with someone and it's their first time for me, it feels like it's my first time again. I mean, that's that's got to be reassuring uh, to a guy. Oh, and then how how she goes on this whole has this whole story about how. Um, 
that's how she met her husband. And he's like, oh, my God, you're married. And she, he, she's like, oh, he's my best customer. <laughs> you still charge him? Yeah, it was, it was very funny. <laughs> so yeah. anyway, I, you know, like I said, I saw this movie, you know, when I was like nine years old. And I've always just kind of thought like, you know, this is a this is probably one of my top ten war movies. Yeah. You know, because it's not I mean, it's not really violent. You know, it's not like a stereotypical war movie, yeah. but it's um, kind of gives you an idea of the time. And, and you know, it's it's semi autobiographical for Neil Simon. Mm. You know, he's he's basing a lot of this stuff off of, you know, his whole his own life. And and the 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 last line in the movie, which is really which is really funny, because after he goes and sees Rowena, when he goes to kind of brag to the guys about it, he tells he says, well, the second time and they're like, what? You did it. You paid twice. And he's like, no, she gave it to me for free. I must have been her one or one thousandth customer. Yeah. So at the funny. at the end of the at the end of the movie, when he's like, you know, it's all true, except I never got a fr- I never did it a second time. But maybe I'll leave that out if they make this into a movie. Yeah. I mean, I yeah. Th- it's, it's cool. the line he gives at the very, very end when he's talking about how, you know, I really love that. T- that was like the best time in my life. I love all these guys. A part of me. Well, is, I hated it. I, I, he's like, I hated it then. But now that I think about it, you know, I really did love those guys. Uh, I mean, I don't know if I buy it. <laughs> Well, I don't buy it. I think when you're going through something like as I mean, whether you went there by choice or not, mm-hmm. that is a huge deal that they oh, went sure. through. It's it's like if you went on like an epic vacation and you had to, like you had to go by yourself, but it was like free and you went with all these strangers, you would not probably forget those people. Mm. So I don't know. It was. Or if you were cast for like the real world. Yeah. Well, that would be that would be recorded (laughs) every day, every moment of that period. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway. But thank thank you for making. I'm glad glad you like it. Thank you for introducing it it to me, Matt. No problem. (laughs) It was uh, a fun movie. So um, we're going to switch gears and we're going to talk about something that is not very funny. No, very serious. <laughs> and, and um in my in rewatching this, I was like, man, thanks a lot Nancy. Thanks for making me watch this movie again. Not because it's and bad. Not, that it, uh, not because it's bad. It's just it's it's a lot to kind of take in. It is. So, um Nancy's going to start us off talking about Empire of the Sun. Yeah, so Empire of the Sun is directed by Steven Spielberg, came out in 87, and like I mentioned earlier, it is Christian Bale's big introduction to the world. He is his first big movie. In fact, he's pretty much in every scene. He carries this two-and-a-half-hour-long movie. Um, It's set, it starts off in 1941, Shanghai, China, and he is part of um, a very well-to-do British family. There's um, a section of Shanghai that's kind of designated for all these um, British residents that kind of get to live this really posh lifestyle, and yet they've been surrounded by this 
Japanese-Chinese war that had been going on for four years prior to when the movie starts. And um, probably within the first 20 minutes or so, like, we get a taste of what this life is like, but then it quickly falls apart because the Japanese invade um, the city and Jamie, who eventually is referred to as Jim, he gets separated from his parents and a majority of the movie is about him being separated from his parents in a country that's at war and him having to survive. And here again, he was a very catered to kind of spoiled only child, um, who had servants and, um, again, was very taken care of. So how was he going to make it through all of this? And, you know, once he gets separated from his parents in this very, in, very, very intense crowd scene, um, you know, his mom tells him, you know, just go back to the house and your dad and I will come back for you. So he makes his way back to this large, empty house and finds that the servants are taking things and a lot of the house had already been kind of ransacked or, you know, gone through. And there's a scene in the parents' bedroom. I don't know if you noticed this or not, but there was like a white powder everywhere. And I don't know if it was the mom's face powder or if it was some other kind of thing that had happened. I think it was her. I, I saw it as like her face powder. Okay. Because they show it kind of coming off of her like a, makeup table. Yeah. Like, the, like some of, like, the bag had, like, been kind of open. Like, it was spilling yeah. off the makeup table. And then you see it all over the floor. And, and you see all these footprints everywhere. And then you see, like, handprints. And then did you notice it looked like someone like had been pulled. dragged? Yeah. yeah. It, that's, it, it was, sign, to me, it was signs of a struggle. Yeah. So, so clearly, like, I'm going to just assume at this point, you know, the servants had been back at the house, but maybe also some Japanese soldiers had come in and um, fought with the people who were in the house. And again, signs of struggle everywhere. But, you know, Jamie is there and he's going to figure it out. Like he's going to wait. You know, he's been told mom and dad will come back for him. So he somehow keeps himself entertained so Jamie is at the house fending for himself. You know, he's opened every cupboard. He's opened every single solitary can of food he can find. All of the utilities eventually get cut off because there's a scene of him trying to, like, turn on the water and get any kind of drop of water he can. And I don't really know how much time has lapsed at this point. I, you know, I've tried to pay quick attention to that because you got to think about, like, the food is going away, you know. Was he how much how good was he at rationing and the way that they did it, you know, because the pool evaporates, the pool is getting lower and lower and lower. But the the amount that where it's at when he first gets back to the house versus where it's at when he leaves the house, that had to have taken months. Yeah. So, I mean, this poor kid, I mean, he's by himself um, for a long time. So going well into like 1942 like probably towards the end of 1942 i'm assuming it starts in late 41 let's say some no it's it's definitely a colder month because you can see like you know so let's say like by fall of 42 potentially well and they go to you know one of the things that they do at the beginning of the movie 
is they go to like a masquerade party. So you could almost assume maybe it's Halloween. Yeah. But I'm, there's no there's no like, you know, pumpkins or anything like that. But it has this very kind of gray. Yeah. Kind of, it's not su- super sunny. Yeah. Or anything. So I'm thinking it, it starts it, in it the fall. It feels like fall. Yeah. yeah. Um, so eventually when after he spent let's say like we said months months at the house alone the pool is evaporated um there's no utilities i mean he is just struggling um he gets on his bike and he hears some cars um driving down the street and it's this big big truck that's got all these other british citizens in there and he's trying to stay catch up with the truck so he can go with them can't make it so then now he's on his next phase so he's basically leaving the house he's going back into i guess more of the town and this is also really tough to watch um he eventually meets up with john malkovich but he's approaching soldiers and like just kind of goes up to them and says i surrender like he wants food like that's really all he's worried about at this point yeah. he's starving um, and the soldiers are all just laughing at him. They're like, whatever, dude, <laughs> you know, you're go away. And then like, there's a kid who's a little older than him who starts trying to chase him down and probably wants to steal his bike and steal his shoes he, or whatever he, he, he can. He tries to steal his shoes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but he ends up bumping into, uh, Joe Pantiliano and, um, is his name Frank? Frank. Yeah. Bumps into Frank and then Frank takes him to John Malkovich and I think it's um, Basie. Basie. Well, of course, the two of them are trying to figure out, well, what can we take from this kid and what can we sell? And yeah, they're going through his pockets and trying to take everything from checking him. to see they, if he's got gold in his teeth. And then they go and then they literally try and sell him. Yep. <laughs> and no, and they can't even sell him. So they're like, what are we doing with this kid? Yep. And, so, and yeah. then and then he says, you know what? Why don't we can go back to my house? I mean, there should be tons of stuff there because he's so desperate. He's so just can't be. Le- he doesn't want to be alone anymore. So he doesn't want to just be left behind. I mean, it also, again, helps that the language barrier isn't an issue with these two guys because they're Americans. Um, mm. So he convinces them, OK, you can come back to my opulent house and we'll see what we can take from there. Well, they get back there, and it's already been occupied by several Japanese men who um, beat the shit out of them and capture them and take them to not—they're not at the internment camp yet. They—they're—they're they're taking they're on, somewhere. They're in transition. They're they, transitioning to be to being sent to a camp at this yeah. point. Yeah, and, and and that's when and that's when you kind of get like you've got like it's it's funny when I watch this movie. I had forgotten how much time Me too. he was not in the camp. Me too. Because I was assuming, like, I kept thinking, like, oh, well, it's like 20 minutes of this movie is him being in Shanghai and then him getting taken. And then after, like, 20 minutes, he's in the camp and that's the rest of the movie. He's not in the camp for an hour. Yeah. An hour of the yep. movie is him just getting to the camp. Yep. And that just was like. It's rough. You know, so Um, eventually he's they're all sent to a camp and they do a time jump. And at this point, it jumps to 1945, probably spring 45, um, because I think we see them at the camp for about four or five months. Um, But, you know, he's he's just like 
deteriorating. I mean, he's he's thriving in the sense that he's figured out um, how to kind of fit in with like this community of Mm -hmm. British people and American people who've all been sent to this internment camp. But I mean, it's it still sucks. I mean, it's not an easy life. I mean, he he keeps himself very busy, like he's kind of. He's a runner. He's he, kind of, he's the he, kind of, he's the, he does chores for Basie, basically. Basically, yeah. I mean, and he's buzzing around. Like, I mean, he, he, he seems to like know everybody. Like he's, he's like the, 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 the guy about town that, um, you know, was friends with a doctor. You know, it sounds like he has schooling with the doctor. The doctor's trying to educate him. Yeah. My, my takeaway from this movie is often this is what an internment camp in World War II would be, you know, an example of what an internment camp in World War II could be like um, mm-hmm. that's set, that's, you know, being run by the Japanese. Yeah, this movie's hard to watch. I mean, I'm glad, I mean, I always wanted to rewatch it. I hadn't rewatched it in a long time. I remember that we did watch it as a family, like all four of us watched it um, soon after it came out. Um, I think we must have still had HBO at the time. And I remember us all being kind of blown away, like, wow, this is really, really good. And I think because it centers around, a you know, a 12, 13-year-old boy, it makes it a little more accessible for us to have watched and enjoyed, maybe. And it's a Steven Spielberg movie. So uh, one of, like, I don't know, 10 World War II projects that Steven Spielberg eventually did he really likes World War II as a topic. Um, <laughs> in fact, um, this was probably his first like official like war movie, like World War II war movie. Um, eventually, he did several others. Um, I know one in particular you're not super fond of, um, or maybe not just movies, but like TV projects because he did like Band of Brothers and The Pacific, right. um, Schindler's List, of course. But I know you're not a huge Saving Private Ryan fan. Not as much, no. I feel like the most important thing about this movie is being introduced to Christian Bale. And <laughs> he is so great. He's so great. He's he's really good in this movie. And <laughs> watching it today, all I want to do right now is just watch as many Christian Bale movies as I can. Like, I'm going to watch Ford versus Ferrari tomorrow. I'm very excited. Oh, nice. But... I just I I just have always liked him. I mean, I've liked him ever since we saw this. And I don't think there's ever been a movie he's in that I thought, oh, I didn't like him in it. I've always thought he's done such a great job in everything he's in. When I was um, checking up on like looking at this movie, I know I saw that he was like out of 4,000 actors that they looked at. Yeah. You know, they eventually picked him and he was recommended by someone to Steven Spielberg and and you know, he just he is and I mean, he is in the whole movie. 100% of this movie. Yep. And you know, there's it's it's hard to kind of and you're right, it, it's hard watching his like him kind of grow up in this role and kind of change. Like at one point when they get to the camp, they do something that I didn't notice, but my wife noticed was like, wow, he had such a cute haircut before. And now he has like this terrible haircut and I didn't even really notice it. And then did he have a Corona cut? It was like he had a Corona cut. Yeah, it was like he probably got his haircut with a with a razor blade. Like that's they probably had just a really. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, So, I mean, it was definitely he was definitely kind of deteriorating and. 
you know, he really kind of was doing everything that he needed to to survive. And some of that shit was scary to to watch. But yeah, it was. You I know, mean, he ends up being he ends up being this, you know, like true survivor at the end, because I mean, granted, he got kind of lucky in a lot of ways. But, you know, you it, you kind of really feel like you're watching this through the eyes of a child. Yeah. You know, having to go through it, you know, when he near the end, when they drop the atom bomb and the war is over, you know, he thought it was, you know, a friend of his dying and her soul going to heaven. Yeah. You know, and that has that very kind of poetic childlike yeah. kind of kind of kind of vibe. But um, I found this movie. This movie was rougher to watch for me now because I have a son. Mm. So the idea of like losing him <laughs> and like being lost, like I almost kind of felt like this was kind of a. You know, this was, you know, it's a great movie and it's fun to watch. But I also like in hindsight, I'm like, man, I would I would almost be as entertained watching a movie that was about the parents struggle of like losing their kid for mm. three years. But maybe they could like do that now and have Christian Bale play the dad. Mm. <laughs> then you would watch that. Right. <laughs> yeah. But um, but yeah, so that made it kind of hard to watch in in, in a lot of ways. But um, still, you know, I remember watching this and then have watching it over and over again and remembering, you know, the relationship that he had with John Malkovich's character yeah. and, and even in not really understanding it until I got older about how like Malkovich's character, Basie, as much as he kind of cared for Jim he really only cared about himself and was only just kind of really using Jim yeah. as a tool. And he would reward him and, you know, and treat him almost like an adult. He would, you would treat an adult like, but, but yeah, he was, he's not, he's not a great character. No. <laughs> he's not a great uh, well, person. Well, I mean, I think in terms. And you kind of learn that pretty early on when he's like checking through, going through his pockets, basically robbing him. I, I think that. But at least he feeds him. I think the adult who was the the kindest to him and who genuinely cared about him the most was the doctor. Because yeah. when in the scene where, um, so John Malkovich had been beaten you know, it, it was it was kind of like, you know, again, they're in an internment camp, which is kind of like a prison, essentially. And, um, you know, the soldiers running it. It's like they tossed their cells and, you know, they came yeah. by and saw all of the stuff that John Malkovich had and beat him up over it and beat him so badly that he ended up needing to go to the to the hospital. And, you know, um Basie says, I need you to watch my stuff. And Jim was just more concerned about his friend. He didn't want to see another person die. And I think that was the thing. It was like Jim really would bond with people. You know, he he formed bonds with as many of these, you know, these people who kind of floated in and out of his life as much as he could. And, you know, then Basie was like, well, who's watching my stuff? And he's like, well, <laughs> they were all bigger than me. And he, in Jim feels so guilty and feels like he's basically, I don't, I, I don't know. It didn't seem like there was a conversation about you've been, you're kicked out, but it more or less felt that way. He just left. He felt guilty. Yeah. Felt so that, so then, you know, he goes and goes to the, I think it's a pagoda, you know, he's sleeping on the top of that building. Yeah. And that's when, you know, you really start to see some firefight coming through and right. 
And, um, you know, he's on top of this roof and all of these buildings at this internment camp are being blown up. And, you know, everyone can kind of see him jumping up and down on the roof of this building. And it's the doctor that comes running, you know, trying to get him down. And he comes to the top of the roof and just calms him down, just like carries him down. And it was in that scene where he, you know, Jim says, I don't remember what my parents look like. Like, I don't remember them. I know my mom has dark hair. I know we'd play bridge, but I don't remember anything else. And that just, it's just. Yeah, that's, that was probably the, like one of the roughest scenes in the entire movie is, you know, here he is all excited. And one of the things that, you know, still kind of having that childlike kind of, kind of thing, um, kind of innocence and kind of interest was from the very beginning. One thing that you learn about Jim is his interest in planes. Yeah. You know, he's got model planes all hanging from his the ceiling in his bedroom. Yeah. And he has all he has like this little this little model plane that he's carried with him the whole movie. And then when that whole battle, when that scene happens, when the Americans finally find the internment camp and attack the air, the air, the the um, the um, runway, uh, the runway. You know, he's like naming off the planes yeah. and, you know, he's all excited and everything. And then you have that that quick juxtaposition of, you know, I can't remember what my parents look like. Yeah. Well, he says, he says to the doctor, you know, we built the runway and, you know, if we die here, it's like, we'll die in the runway. He's like trying to get excited. He's like, it's our runway. And the doctor's like, no, it's not ours. None of this is ours. It's theirs. And just, um, so Jim obviously is my favorite character. I mean, I'm going to guess it's, it's yours, not, too. It's kind of hard for him not to be yeah. anyone's favorite character I mean, because he's on the screen. And it's his story. It's his yeah. story. I have a couple scenes that just really stand out. Um, you know, that, that rooftop scene, intense, you know, really emotional, really great. Love that scene. Um, the trap scene when he's laying the traps. Yeah, <laughs> that scene's really good. Um, I also like kind of the introduction introduction to them being in the internment camps and he's running around kind of doing all the chores like that good five minute piece but i also i also really like it like when he sees the bomb drop and then you know about five six minutes later when he sees his friend and he's like you know i can i can save everybody i can bring them all back and he's just kind of in this trance and you know um john malkovich's character has killed his friend because he thinks his friend is about to Slice him up. Slice him up because he had a sword to cut him a freaking mango. But maybe my favorite line is when John Malkovich asks him, didn't I teach you anything? And he says, you've taught me that people will do anything for a potato. Yeah. I probably remember that line more than (laughs) almost more than anything from this movie. But I mean... You know, once all the Americans show up and, you know, they're sent to an orphanage and, you know, all the kids are so excited and kind of like, you know, excited and waiting for the parents to claim him. And he's just kind of sitting there stone faced like, I don't recognize any of these people. And it takes his dad walks right by him. Yeah. But the mom mom eventually sees him. Yeah. But I think that one of the other aspects about Jim that's really important to re, to kind of point out is is at the beginning of the movie he's very kind of bratty you know yeah. he's he's not nice to nope. 
his nanny really he just kind of wants to do whatever he wants and yep. and everything and he's not like overly bratty in a sense where he's like he's spoiled Veruca. he's he's not veruca from willy wonka bratty yeah. but he's definitely um feels kind of some sort of entitlement yeah and then he gets quickly humbled <laughs> yeah. and then just becomes kind of a survivor and he you know one of the things he learns from Basie is, you know, sometimes you just have to, you know, it's, it's how you play this game and that's how you're going to survive yeah. to get through this. But at the same time, um, he still has kind of an innocence and a humanity that, you know, adults kind of lose. And, you know, that's a very steep, that's a very kind of spielberg kind of theme that you see. Like, like E.T. is all about, you know, him, you know, like the kid versus the adults kind of thing. Yeah. You know, going through this kind of adventure, and you kind of see that again in this movie. Yeah. Um, but uh, one of the, another thing about this movie that I always, that I find very interesting, and my wife, who had never watched it before, oh. watching it for the first time, um, she found very interesting was just knowing that during World War II... That it wasn't just like how we, you know, here in the United States, we had Japanese internment camps like over there. They had, you know, internment camps full of other people in, in China. And, you know, they're in China mm-hmm. and they have these internment camps, these, you know, uh, these British and American internment camps from all the people who were there and seeing it kind of gives you this other perspective yeah. of, of how it's done. It's like you kind of see all these war movies where. The, the 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 enemy <laughs> the, the quote enemy yeah. is seen is put in this one kind of light and it's always from the vantage point of like a soldier and this is different this is kind of looking at it from like it kind of flips the script a little bit yeah. so it's kind of interesting i don't think i ever i wouldn't have known about this whole japanese occupation of china you know yeah. if it wasn't for this movie yeah. it's not you know in seeing it seeing it kind of illustrated like this now it's this movie and this movie is based on a book an autobiographical book so um so the guy who wrote it like went through this he was jim his he was the actual survivor that you know went through this it's supposedly it's a novel but i mean from what I was reading, it's maybe based maybe, on his maybe life. it's in fact maybe, that's, maybe every, maybe everything that happened isn't isn't fact, but maybe it's taken from sure. stories that you know over time. And what I what I was reading too was that the author had a hand in selecting Christian Bale because he looked a lot like him when he was a kid. Oh, supposedly. Interesting. I mean, that's why. Suppose. I don't know. So, but I also thought it was interesting also to kind of watch these two movies. Because one of the things that I think both of these movies have in common is seeing everything through the perspective of, like, the like the one character. Yeah. Which, even though, you know, it's similar time period and they're young, you know, seeing they're in different, totally situ- different situations. But it was interesting watching both these movies, like, from from that one kind of perspective. Yeah. As opposed to, like, 
having like ten different stories going on, you know, about a war and everything. Yeah, it was a very, five, fifty fifty characters. You have to get like this whole backstory on. Yeah, <laughs> it, was, it was really straightforward in the sense like you know what the point of view of the movie is. Um, right. Again, very different in the sense that with Biloxi Blues, we never see anything war related other than he's in basic training. Like you never see right. him, and I don't think he ever leaves. Like he's never shipped out anywhere, right? Yeah, they actually say that they, none of them, you know, right before they were all going to ship out, the war ended. Yeah, so the timelines of these movies are the same. Um, at least the end of similar em- the yeah. end of Empire of the Sun coincides with Biloxi Blues, um, but yeah, I again tough. It was a tough movie to watch, but only because it's very emotional. I mean, I don't know. I mean. Were you crying at the end when the the parents come and find him? Because I couldn't stop crying for probably ten minutes. No, I wasn't crying because I had seen it already. Like I knew that they. You were have already, a heart they, of stone, Matt. Just kidding. <laughs> my 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 heart is black and pumps black blood. No. <laughs> no, it's just I, I I knew what was happening, yeah. and I didn't tell my wife what was going to happen. I, t- I she was like, "Is this whole movie? Is this whole movie just terrible? Like, do I have to watch?" <laughs> Did you Do I have say to watch yes. Jim go through terrible things? I said no, not the whole movie. And she was like, "Well, when does it get hopeful?" I'm like, "Like the last two minutes." <laughs> <laughs> I don't know when when the when the uh, when the canisters of spam started falling from the sky. That's when it started to get more hopeful. But he was. But then, like even when the canister when like the canisters are falling from the sky, he's still in the middle of nowhere by himself. Yeah. And yeah, he might have some food, but where the hell is he going? Yeah, and you know you what? Know? I mean, and even at that point, he he. he re- I mean, he ended up he ended up going all the way back to the internment camp yep. where the runway was. Yep. Well, I mean, and what's interesting is because John Malkovich's character killed his friend. You know, Jim kind of rejected him. You know, you know he's because he said, "I'll I'll take you back." You know, we'll have three meals a day. I'll meet your dad, and Jim was like, he was over it. He he was yeah. over having this person as a friend in his yeah. life because he saw no and and he left you know Jim John Malkovich had left without him and they had a deal you know you weren't he wasn't going to leave him behind but he had gotten yeah. left behind and had you know that long that long walk which I don't know how many days or potentially weeks that ended up being but starving again and just you know yeah this it's. Definitely a hardcore movie about survival. I mean, in a Spielberg way. You know, I mean, it's, you know, it... Obviously, you know, it ends on... It ends with some hope, and it ends with a happy ending, which is nice. Yeah. But... It would have been rough if, if like, the movie ends and he never meets... Finds his parents or something. That would have been... So, I don't think Spielberg and Christian Bale have worked together since... I, I don't think I they've had so any no. other projects since then. I mean, Christian Bale certainly worked with, you know, a lot of directors and some directors more than once, but I don't think he and Spielberg have ever done anything together since this project. And I don't think he was ever in any of, like, the larger productions, like The Band of Brothers, and he wasn't in Saving Private Ryan or um, some of the other things, but... No, I'm looking now, and... Uh, 
No. I mean, I don't think he did anything else with, with Spielberg. But... Yeah. <sighs> Christian Bale, one of the one of our great greatest actors of our time. Love him. Yeah. Loved him since yeah. he was a little kid. Yeah, I mean, there's 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 another movie that he stands out the most to me, which is like I think like the movie that really kind of launched his adult career <laughs> that we'll probably that we're gonna talk about mm-hmm. at some point. But um you know, he's he's definitely, I mean, he's an Academy Award winning actor. Yep. He's a good actor. You can't really, can't say much m- much bad about that. You know you so. kept waiting for him to start sounding like Batman when he was talking, right? You're picturing no, his, I didn't. You're picturing his Batman voice? There's there's one thing I don't like. I, there's one thing about Christian Bale that bothers me that has to do with another series of movies that is not Batman. We can talk about that some other time, but, you know, I think that he just really, he takes his craft so seriously that, you know, it's, I mean, he's, he's gained weight and lost weight to play roles, which screws up your whole metabolism and everything. I mean, he's, he's really dedicated to his job, so. Yeah. Oh, no, he's. I'm not going to, I can't, I don't have a lot to hate about, about Christian Bale. Yeah. He's, he's had some, he's, he's acted very poorly on set and treated some crew members very poorly from what I remember hearing and has had to apologize and things like that but you know I still like watching his films that's good I think that also like this watching these two movies kind of also reaffirms the idea like war movies are are rarely like the fun happy movies to watch <laughs> i mean Biloxi like, blues had its humor in it but you there's you can't get away from some sort of seriousness so <laughs> you know forrest gump is a fun movie matt that is a fun war movie is it a war movie <laughs> is it is it a, is it based on is it based on a completely false history <laughs> yes yeah, you know, I, I'll, I'll just throw this out there real quick before we wrap up. Um, we probably saw Platoon before seeing Empire of the Sun. And Platoon is a way heavier movie in, in, diff- in different ways. Um, uh, I mean... It's more, it's more violent and it's really intense because you're, like, in the battle yeah. kind of thing. Whereas this is, this is different. This, it's a different kind of situation yeah and the vietnam war has a very different any war after world war ii that the united states was in has a very different vibe than world war ii movies yeah (laughs) there's a different vibe on the on those movies for a lot of different reasons the the hero the hero's journey is definitely written in a different way for any other movie any other war movies but i think that's also why these kinds of movies there's so many of these movies you know it's such a big thing it's a i mean since the beginning of the of the beginning of telling tales war has always been a major topic so so anyway well do you have any other final thoughts It was rough watching that movie. 
It was rough, but I'm glad I rewatched it. I've been wanting to rewatch it for a really, really long time, and I thought, like I you said, I, it was good I don't to know pair if I it up. Watch it anytime soon? No, I'm I'm good for a long time now. <laughs> yeah, but Biloxi Blues has a little is a little lighter. Yeah. So if you don't want to, you know, be weepy or stressed out or have anxiety, watch that movie. Yeah, it's a little less anxious. So, I agree. Anyway. Well, thank you very much for listening, everybody. Um, don't forget to follow us on the social media networks or download our podcast or rate us on whatever podcasting platform you listen to us on. Um, this has been Fighting Over the VCR. My name is Matthew. My name is Nancy. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you. Bye.